0: that's Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DW Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three
1: so, years. Three years.
0: Dang. Three years, bitch. All right. <laughs> okay. Save it <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil. The dead won't bother It's the living you got to worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Bad Taste Crime Cast. I'm Vicki, and I'm Janelle, and we are very excited to be here with you today. We are. This is very well somewhat special episode because we're terrible at planning ahead because we forget <laughs> everything that's important <laughs> yes but this is special because we are celebrating our three-year anniversary yeah 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 we've been doing this a long time three years is a long time <laughs> it's a long time for me to commit to anything
2: yeah yeah commitment's hard <laughs> It is. It totally is. Yeah. So I brought some delicious nineteen Crimes hard shard. Mm. Didn't know they made white wine. Apparently they do. It's
1: really good. It's
2: delicious. <laughs> that sounded like a fucking submarine. <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: I thought I put it on
2: silent. Way to go. Way to
1: fuck moved, up our entrance. I moved to the switch the wrong way and turns the fine. volume all the way up. It's fine. It's fine. Let me just start all the way for the (laughs) No.
2: So we got 19 Crimes, Hard Charred, and then I got some delicious, cute little massy chocolates. We have
1: wine and chocolate today. The wine and chocolate anniversary?
2: Yes. Is that what this is? That's what this is. What was the one?
1: it was like paper?
2: It was paper, plastic, chocolate, and wine. (laughs) Chocolate
1: plastic? (laughs) That was totally a fallacy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Anyway, we've got a great show for you. Mm -hmm. But first. Let's head over to the newsroom. Just kidding. We don't have a newsroom today.
2: <laughs> the news is happy anniversary. It we is. are just going to indulge in Netflix and kill. Instead. We are
1: because we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> oh my god! When it comes to these documentaries,
2: binge worthy. <laughs> I hate myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are going to start off by talking about the trials of Gabriel Fernandez,
2: girl. I have never cried harder.
1: I knew you were gonna, for real, but I knew you were gonna come in with some hot takes, too.
2: I was watching it, and, like... Immediately, it was like, "Oh God, this is like so relevant."
1: It is, yeah, because we just talked about um, the AJ friend case out mm-hmm. of Crystal Lake. So, for those that haven't watched it, first of all, spoiler alert. Second Big of all, fucking spoiler alert. Yes. Um, second of all, we do want to give some caution because it deals it's with child abuse French. and death oh and um, graphic pictures. Yes. So the story is about an eight-year-old boy from California named Gabriel Fernandez, who died at the hands of his mother and mother's boyfriend after numerous involvements with CPS, um, which in L.A. seems to be... It was L.A., right?
2: Yeah, L.A. County. It seems Um, to be,
1: like, a weird It's actually
2: not all that different from from Illinois.
1: (laughs) Well that's I uh, yeah, that's true. Um, um so
2: yeah.
1: the document well and this was really interesting too because the documentary not only follows the trial of um Isaro Aguirre and Pearl Fernandez, but uh they decided to put some of the CPS social workers on trial as mm-hmm. well,
2: which was like, like Life in prison kind of a trial. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's um If you're not familiar with the story, it's probably one of the most sensationalized child abuse cases, I think, in a really long time. Yeah. The things that this child had to fucking endure are absolutely gut-wrenching. Yeah. They showed photos of him, and I just tears streaming down my face. He was so visibly beaten, yes. it's not even funny.
1: Yeah, so just for some perspective, they were keeping him um, in essentially a in a cabinet <laughs> in a little box locked in, sometimes with handcuffs, sometimes gagged with a bandana. Um, when he was out, he was beaten severely. He was, towards the end, shot with a BB gun and had... Mm-hmm. Uh, burns and scabs and like hair missing from his head. The burns were super visible on him. Mm -hmm. And when they talk to um, because they do play some of the or read some of the the testimony transcripts from his siblings Mm -hmm. um, where they talk about him being put in the bathtub and sprayed in the face with pepper spray Mm -hmm. and like put into cold showers and like forced to eat cat litter. forced, Forced to eat cat litter. Like I mean it was horrific. Now, the thing is, is CPS had multiple reports. Yep. Um, His poor fucking teacher. Yeah. I know. I felt so bad for so, that woman.
2: She tried so hard. And that's, like, commendable. Because a lot of times, she kept trying. A lot of times, teachers will call right. CPS a few times and give up. Yeah. Because it's like, nothing's happening. But she saw him progressively getting more and more and more beaten and bruised and burned. And she was trying right. Every She went to the fucking... School and she's like, something needs
1: to be done. Yeah, and they were essentially like, "Will you have done all what you can? You can as a mandated mm-hmm. reporter." And yep. um, I do. She and she talks about this a lot in the documentary where she does hold a lot of guilt. Like, could mm-hmm. she have done more? And I think she was one of the people who was really trying to do. Things the right way. Mm -hmm. Now, they talk a lot about this. The documentary as a whole, the series as a whole, looks at a lot of things. It looks Mm -hmm. at not only the court cases, but kind of the function of CPS as a whole, the ways that things are changing in um, counties and areas with similar issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talk about using algorithms to try to weed out cases. Super
2: fascinating. And
1: I thought that was really cool Mm -hmm. to try and better rank. Um, cases into low risk, medium, hot medium risk, high risk, taking the human element out of it and attempting to remove some of the um, prejudices. Prejudici- oh my goodness, <laughs> prejudices, prejudices, and things. Um, that cause the system itself to be really biased mm-hmm. as well. So I thought that was interesting. They look at kind of the role that CPS had and the way that the this case in particular was handled through the chain in LA County and kind of some of the things that happened in the aftermath. I mean, it do, it covers a lot of ground. It does. It's, um, it's one
2: of the better documentaries, I think. They did a great job of not just covering the case, but talking about everything that affects a case of that magnitude. And they did a great job of describing the different levels of CPS, because it's not just one organization. It's a group of organizations that are together, and they do not communicate with each other, which often is what happens in any government body. Right, and all, <laughs> even though all of those groups are together, they're together under one An other
1: umbrella, umbrella that's together with mm-hmm. other categories. And it's very, it's like this tree of organizations that is supposed to work together, but like you said, is
2: not. They also brought up privatization of taking care of some of the work that is done by these government bodies. And that is something that is not talked about very much. We talk about it a little bit with uh, jails and privatization of prison systems, but they were discussing that in the context of... Child Protective Fucking Services. And I think that is the most outrageous thing I have ever heard. Right. And they, and they talked about it, too, specifically
1: in relation to using, like, these algorithms and mm-hmm. some of these better processes. And one of the things they, they talk about and really hit on is that it's important to keep it the uh, publicly owned mm-hmm. because, really, these companies are trying to aggregate data mm-hmm. to have for themselves for... Exactly. Whatever purpose, I
2: really think that an algorithm system would be beneficial, but you're not going to get that technology and that information unless you are in bed with a private company, unfortunately. Right. right? But that's something to look at and to see that there are different ways to approach handling the ca- like the caseloads and the biases within systems. Um, By looking at technology, it it should be a tool that we use um, instead of, I mean, honestly, they're filing like old school file paperwork still. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even just streamlining those processes would be beneficial. And of course, you know, training people properly. Uh, having a clear chain of command and communication and sharing information. I mean, we've discussed like this when talking about you know cases that went over state lines and the miscommunication between police departments. Yeah, yeah. It's in the same vein. So just finding a, a like a nationalized system, I think, would be really good uh, to kind of share that information between other CPS, um, you know, organizations in different states, and having that sort of like you know helping one another instead of floundering and just trying to get the work done. Right. Now one of the other things that I don't, I
1: definitely do not want to miss because this was a a big plot point in this whole thing was a little bit of police misconduct. (laughs) A little Um, bit, yikes. The It turns out the prosecuting attorney that is an assistant state's attorney was having some difficulty getting um, information from his own police department regarding an internal investigation into the officers involved in the calls Mm to uh, Gabriel's residence. So that was an interesting turn of events that I wasn't expecting either.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not fucking surprised. It's not like L.A. County has this amazing reputation
1: yeah and they do kind of look at some of the history of the like chief of police and kind of like Mm
2: -hmm. the
1: battles he's had with people looking into the department or trying to reform
2: things on the police force yeah um and the way that i mean like unless he gets removed like he's there you know what i mean He's not going anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. So he can fuck up as much as he wants, mm-hmm. which he did. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's just a
1: lot to this. I do recommend it. It is very, very good. It But was, have a
2: Kleenex box, bitch, because you going to cry. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. De- definitely be aware of what you're getting yourself into because yeah. it's very difficult um, to watch.
2: The pictures and them the police talking to his siblings were yeah. the hardest part.
1: Yeah. It is rough. But Trials of Gabriel Fernandez, it's not on, on Netflix right now. Definitely give it a watch. I think it's worth uh, the little bit of pain watching it. Because <laughs> it is very interesting It. It highlights a lot of issues, I think, Mm -hmm. that we just talked about on a previous podcast. So, circle. Um, Now, I also, before we move off of Netflix, wanted to circle back because I said we might to The (laughs) Pharmacist. Yes. I watched it. Which we talked about. (laughs) Yes. And I have since finished it. Oh, boy. What a ride.
2: It was a whirlwind. That That roller coaster.
1: Yeah. So, just as a reminder, It's about a dude in New Orleans whose name I can't... Yeah, it's Danny Schneider, Mm -hmm. Dan Schneider, in New Orleans, uh, who starts off by investigating his son's death uh, because he was killed in the Ninth Ward buying crack cocaine. And he finds the murderer Mm -hmm. and then moves on to... That was like investigating a doctor in their community, which I think... and down, Yeah, I think this is about the point that I had stopped when we talked about it last time. That's when it
2: got real good. (laughs) I know.
1: So he starts looking into this doctor in their community that is essentially running a pill mill Mm -hmm. with crazy hours at like... One, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. It looked
2: like a fucking party yeah. in a convenience store. Like yeah.
1: Is what it exactly. Like. <laughs> um, now, she, of course, is also like a hot spot for Purdue Pharma, who is Ooh. pushing Oxycontin. And, and she's also an addict. Yeah. She's Visibly also an addict. a fucking addict. They tried to take her down. And then they. The
2: interview with her was oh my gosh. so hard to watch. Yeah. Because I was just like, you're you got problems. Like, she was in an accident, too. Mm -hmm. But you could tell she still has some issues. Yeah. She still struggles with some things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting. And I was glad that they were able to get an interview with her. Mm -hmm. um, Just to kind of hear her perspective on things. Um, Because I do think she was in a situation, like, they talk about going into her house to get her to voluntarily surrender her medical license. Mm -hmm. And she... Considers it and realizes that she's also an addict and needs to get help, and um, then she thinks of her kids and she's like, "Like this is all, you know." I get that
2: and she piece put of herself it too. Through medical school, you know, it's it's hard. Yeah, but also you broke the fucking law. You got a lot, a hun- hundreds, probably thousands of people addicted to yeah. pills. Yeah, like uh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know, and so that whole thing happens
1: and then it's kind of nice because Stan Schneider turns this into like a positive thing working on getting rehabilitation programs and educating youth Mm -hmm. about drug addiction and talking at schools and getting these things going and then Hurricane Katrina happens. Fucking Hurricane (laughs) Katrina ruins the party again. Yeah, and they totally, I mean, it just... Knocks it right Decimates, back. Decimates. You know? Yeah, the entire town, and they have to rebuild. So it's really this like, I, it's a very, like like you said, it's kind of a roller coaster mm-hmm. of a story because there's so much going on. There's other things happening in the background that people don't know about, and this investigation with the doctor, but it also was happening at the same time they were cracking down on Purdue Pharma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it was just a wild ride. But I did have somebody ask me like, so what do you think of Dan Schneider? Because he does... I was definitely rooting for him, but there is a period in time where he is kind of a crazy person. Like, very obsessed (laughs) with...
2: I mean, we... Have you ever had a loss
0: like that? No, no. And that's the thing.
1: (laughs) And I can see why people would see him coming off like that, because he really was, like, unraveling very, Mm -hmm. very slowly and is just, like, desperate to get something done. But
2: also you're coming up... Okay. New Orleans Police Department is notoriously fucked up. You want to talk about L.A. County? New Orleans... The laws and the jurisdictional things that happen there are absolutely out of mind. Yeah. Like, they have a regulation, I I know they've been trying to get rid of it, where if you're (laughs) brought into jail and convicted for murder, if they can't find any evidence within 24 hours, they can set you free. Okay. Okay? This is the kind of, because they have so... Many murders. Yeah, this is the kind of things that we're working with. The kinds of regulations, a lack of efficiency in the police department. I mean, Jesus, when Katrina hit, all of the the police murders and people stealing and like.
1: Yeah, that's true. That, that was a really just, big.
2: That highlighted it. That case out coming out of Katrina, like that, highlighted the issues with New Orleans police department. Yeah. So I am not surprised at his frustrations. Yeah. You just lost your child. Nobody's doing anything. Yeah. The police aren't doing anything. Like, what yeah. are you supposed to do?
1: Yeah. I definitely was rooting for him. Oh, yeah. But you can tell. I mean, there is like the part a... Where I,
2: where I was like, oh, he was like recording everybody mm-hmm. and reaching out to like strangers right. unabashedly. Right. Which is, I mean, I get... I, that made me scared for him. <laughs> you yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Crossing wards is He was isn't doing exactly... a lot
1: of really <laughs> unsafe like
2: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he's lucky he didn't get fucking shot or yeah, stabbed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I had friends who go... I've been in New Orleans a couple times. I've had friends who've gone down there and have gotten stabbed and mugged. Like, you know, just oh walking gosh. down the damn street. Yeah. So it's like, he's very, very lucky that he came out of this alive. Yeah.
1: So I just, I really wanted to circle back to that with like some final thoughts just because I did, like, ultimately it was very good. It was mm-hmm. really interesting. It was a nice, tight six episode. I was a
2: little apprehensive because yeah. when it comes to things like uh, dealing with you know, drug wars essentially and pharmaceutical companies it's never a good ending so I was kind of like I don't know if I want to watch this and be disappointed yet again in the world (laughs) yeah but it was kind of
1: nice because similar to Trials of Gabriel Fernandez it covers a lot of bases it's not Mm -hmm. just about this one case which those can also be good but like it's about his son his son's murder but it's also about this pill mill and pill mills on a larger scale in Mm -hmm. the country but it's also about Purdue Pharma Mm -hmm. and kind of their influence on the Oxycontin industry, but it's also about this community that is trying to come together to solve this issue in their area. So, I mean, there's just like a lot of layers to this. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind it's, of becomes
2: like a Pandora's box situation where yeah. you open it and you see this one thing and then all of a sudden, yeah 30 it things is come out. In real life, that's how these things are. Oh, there's yeah. a
1: lot of layers to all of these things. So I think it's, it's worth a watch because it highlights a lot of these issues yeah.
0: um,
1: and kind of the complexity of all of it that I don't think a lot of people really consider. Mm-hmm. So definitely check out The Pharmacist on Netflix as well. Yes. And now I think we're done with our Netflix talk. Our,
2: our Netflix I just, and kill our special. Yeah, right. I
1: really just wanted to get through that because I just thought it was important to come back um, sometimes with these things that maybe we haven't finished or seen or, mm-hmm. you know, and give a better review, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to move on to the episode. It's a great one. I don't even have to give you a warning. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause... I mean,
2: a warning. You might be thoroughly disgusted by the end of this. Yeah, right. <laughs> because... You might want to become an anarchist. Like, moi.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I believe, or, like, I a believe, sovereign citizen. I
2: believe it at our ge- Sorry, I was just oh. going
1: back to my punk chase. <clears throat> mm. Well, then. Um, <laughs> because of the season... Yes. It is...
2: What probably, season is that?
1: Tax. Uh. Tax season. It's tax season. It's everyone's favorite time no of year. No
2: taxation without representation. Okay.
1: All right. Um, so I thought, you know what? I, as if you've listened to the show before... You know that I have a very special place in my heart for white collar crime. <laughs> You're gonna stay for tax, tax, fraud, also tax fraud. <laughs> now, um, after my little run-in I, with the IRS, which I we asked won't talk to Vicky, about,
2: I was like, "Are you sure you want to do this? Because I don't want you to get PTSD." Don't worry,
1: guys. <laughs> I'm not getting audited. I didn't try to defraud
2: <laughs> the United States commit. of America. I'm going um, on record. Anyone associated with good. the Bad Jays Crime Cast has never, nor will ever attempt to defraud the I IRS. I don't think
1: so. <laughs> yes. No, I think that's probably accurate. That's a safe statement. So I thought... Also, we just did this show in Elgin, mm-hmm. and turns out we have Our some... Our aco- audiences' accountants. We have some accountants <laughs> that listen, so I thought they might appreciate this, too. But we're going to talk about tax crimes. Yes. Um, because... I can't believe how many accountants listen to us. I was very surprised. <laughs> yes. Um, so we're going to talk about some tax crimes with some uh, rich people. Trying to Yeah, some some real sleaze balls. Yeah. yeah. Although I mean kind of. I feel like mine is Ooh, not mine is as so sleazy. sleazy. Is I can't kind of, wait but not. <laughs> so I'm gonna start off by talking about Ty Warder. Okay. Now, does that name sound familiar to you? The last
2: name sounds familiar well
1: (laughs) it's because Ty Warner is
2: the creator of
1: Beanie Babies
2: oh yeah
1: oh remember that tag
2: that said Ty (laughs) Ty
1: yeah it's because that's his first name I know yeah, yeah. <laughs> in case you didn't pick up on that, it's kind of egotistical to put your name on your own product, you asshole. Yeah, right. So, Beanie Babies was like the toy craze of the nineties. What was your favorite Beanie Baby? Um, so it was funny because when I was writing this, I was definitely having all of these <laughs> nostalgia. like nostalgia oh, moments nostalgia. because this Mine's is going to
2: be nostalgic too in a very yeah. different
1: way. <laughs> this is so like the Beanie Baby craze is one mm. of these things that was the societal. Phenomena pandemonium that I experienced and mm-hmm. was a part of and remember living through as a kid, like yep. <laughs> one of these like distinct memories in my head. So like when I thought about Beanie Babies and kind of like the first one that came to my head was the Princess Di bear. The bear, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They did a Princess Diana bear, and mom had it in like one of those little plastic Colector box box yes. things, and it was on display, and like. I mean, it was intense. It was the whole
2: thing. Yeah. They're fucking stuffed animals. is was a whole
1: thing. <laughs> it was. And it was, it was insanity. But I still
2: have one. It's the wiener dog one.
1: Oh, of so. course. <laughs> of course it is. We definitely still have them all in, in bins and boxes I, I think in the basement. My, I am
2: probably threw mine away. And I we had this, all
1: the teeny beanie boppers.
2: I went through this phase in my early 20s where I threw like everything from my childhood away trying to erase all of the drama. You should not have gotten rid of those beanie babies. I'm pretty sure I threw away like beanie babies and my entire baseball card collection yeah. although now i don't, I don't
1: know, know how much they'd be worth but maybe in a few years pennies again, who knows? on the dollar yeah probably
2: <laughs> i remember that one and then i had uh because they did bear the bears in various versions yes and i had yeah. like a tie-dyed bear those yeah. are the two that i really remember yeah i the
1: think most. they did like a jerry garcia that was probably bear. the bear. yeah <laughs> um so beanie babies was this it was the toy craze of the 90s that really caused parents to become mega collectors and traders but it turns out that Warner was collecting a little something of his own. Money. It was money. Fraud? He was collecting money. Oh, really? All for himself, <laughs> as you might have guessed. Um, so, Ty Warner was born in 1944. He grew up in LaGrange, Illinois.
0: Whoa. Um, which I
1: actually did not realize this was, like... So close to home. Yeah, he also grew up in a house built by, by Frank Lloyd Wright.
2: I wonder if they have a like a plaque or something on their city sign that says "Home of the beatty Baby." Oh my God, baby! I if they, they have, do. I've never seen it. Oh my gosh! Man, I don't know how know. often I'm
1: out in Lagrange, but not often. Um, so he grew up in a house built by Frank Lloyd Wright in the 1890s called the Peter Gone House, mm-hmm. and joined by his parents Harold and Georgia, and his younger sister Joyce. Warner spent his childhood in what is. Considered one of the five best places to live in the suburbs
2: of Illinois, or in general, Illinois.
1: Okay, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, The house is currently valued at six hundred and eleven thousand dollars. It's 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 funny because I pulled up a picture of it and I was like, "This is the least Frank Lloyd Wright looking (laughs) house that he built," but the inside is like gorgeous. So it's very unassuming, but it's like a huge, very expensive house. Mm -hmm. Harold Warner was a jeweler, but spent the bulk of his career as a toy salesman. Um, Most of Ty Warner's childhood was spent in in the Chicago suburbs, but at age 14, he was sent to St. John's Northwestern Military Academy in uh, Delaf- that doesn't look right. (laughs) It's in Wisconsin. Uh Uh-huh. But I don't think that's right, what I have down. <laughs> doesn't look right. I'll Spell skip it. that. Nah, it's cool. <laughs> I just um,
0: hear it. <laughs> it's
1: just, in, I have it down as Delafield, but that doesn't, I don't think that's a place. It could be a place. Eh. In Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> he graduated from the Academy in 1962 and opted to attend Kalamazoo College in Michigan, where he showed a real talent for the stage. Oh, really? He was, yeah, he was in school for a drama degree. Um, After only a year at the college, Warner dropped out and left to try out acting in Hollywood. (laughs) He spent five years in Hollywood with no real big breaks and decided instead to return to Chicago, where he began working for the same company his father worked for, Doc and Toy Company. Now, Doc and Toys became really profitable in 1979 when they got the rights to produce Smurf figurines and later acquiring the rights to produce Disney, Sesame Street, Raggedy Ann and Andy, and Looney Tunes toys, which was like this time period was really like the boom of this toy industry, Mm -hmm. especially with TV shows. Mm -hmm. And if you ever watched how uh, Toys
2: That Made Us... Yes. Oh yeah! Oh yes!
1: It's all about those <laughs> TV is, shows. This and... is the
2: research I do for my art, literally. <laughs> Toys that made us. Yeah. Oh. Everything that I do is related to toy nostalgia and food nostalgia.
1: Yeah, good point. I did mm. message you about a yak back last yes. week. Yes, Tamagotchis, <laughs> littlest pet shops, mm. all of it. So you'll notice that up until this point, there hasn't really been anything said about Ty's mom. Um, because she out? well, she was dealing with an undiagnosed mental illness oh, for a huge amount goodie. of this time, yeah. So, Harold <laughs> a in Georgia, experience with that. <laughs> yeah. Harold in Georgia got divorced in 1971, and then later in the 70s, she was spending some time at the Elgin Mental Hospital and cool. was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. Mm-hmm. So,
2: that happens, that'll
1: happen, that'll happen. Um, While working for the and Toy Company... something
2: in the water around here. I
1: think so. (laughs) Uh, While working for the and Toy Company, Warner was a sales rep in Ohio, earning six figures a year. He spent 10 years with the company before being unceremoniously fired in 1980 for selling a plush of his own alongside the Dockin' product. Okay. okay. Yeah.
2: For some reason, I thought you were going to go into a sexual angle.
1: <laughs> no. I got
2: confused. No, like plush toys? Yes. Yeah. We're still talking yeah. about children's toys? Again, this is all of my art getting jumped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> toys with sexual undertones. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not, okay. So he, he created his own toy. I was just like selling
1: it also yes. as he went to go it's sell like the if Daken You product.
2: like this Smurf doll? Why don't yeah. You should try. <laughs> yeah,
1: and they found out and fired him. I yeah. mean, like, on the spot. They hired an investigator and everything. Well, and they were just like, eh. Well, you know. Um, so after his release from and Warner flew to Italy, and he stayed there for three years, becoming inspired by a line of plush cat toys that he had discovered while he was there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He returned to the U.S. to do it himself. And in 1983, Harold Warner dies from a heart attack while playing tennis. He was like eighty-one,
2: I think. So you don't play sports, guys? No, (laughs) (laughs) you have hard. This is like one of the
1: smaller impact sports Mm -hmm. you could
2: play. (laughs)
1: Um, So when he passed away, he left a decent-sized inheritance to Ty, and using this along with the cash from a mortgage on his condo and savings he had accrued from working at Dachem, Warner launched Ty Inc. out of his home in 1986. His toys were almost an immediate success due to the decision to understuff the toys with PVC pellets which was like there's
2: no beans
1: in the beanie babies yeah so apparently the whole thing is stuffed and plush toys when they were coming out they were like stuffed to the brim making them so stiff that you couldn't pose them and mm. the reason that beanie babies were so successful is because so they were limp as a dick they were understuffed. <laughs> you could pose them and they looked a little bit more like life because they had more movement in the body and you could chuck them full force at your siblings yeah, in yeah. The face yeah it's just oh. like throwing a bean bag <laughs> exactly um the first iteration of Beanie Babies were debuted at the World Toy Fair in New York City in 1993 at the price point of $5, something that's considered a stroke of genius because <laughs> okay, they weren't seeing toys at that price point that weren't shitty. That's essentially right. what it is. Like they were mm-hmm. like cheaply made or like just kind of garbage product for 5 bucks, but he was putting out something that like everybody wanted. Is crazy. Got to collect them all. Just about, yeah, <laughs> almost. We're about to get to that part. Yeah. Um, so, Beattie Babies were an immediate hit, due in large part to the price point and the understuffing, something considered revolutionary in the toy world. But one other major factor was the idea of deliberate scarcity, which is just like fucking baseball cards. Yes, <laughs> it's kind of. It feels really sleazy. There's nothing wrong with oh, it, does? Because it? it's all about <laughs> supply and demand, but. Each run of a new animal was rolled out in a limited quantity and then retired, allowing a culture of collectors and traders to really go like absolutely nuts actually in the 90s.
2: Retire them? Was there actually a limited run cuz that's what happened with the baseball cards. They're like, "Oh, these are super fucking limited." And it's like, "No. There's yeah, like I think cases of the same card.
1: I think in the beginning it was legitimate and even if they brought them back, they'd reintroduce them into the the production mm-hmm. line, but like
2: Call BS on this Deliberate one. Mm. scarcity, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, when the company was most successful, they were shipping fifteen thousand orders a day to retailers. Jesus. This also helped to really push uh, the online marketplaces to become a thing because people were. Taking all of this, like the scarcity of some of the retired beanie babies, they were taking all of the retired ones, going to eBay, eBay.
2: um,
1: to sell off like these the most valuable of their collections. This Sometimes, the heyday
2: of eBay, where you can, yes. like, sell weird yeah. shit like a single Cheeto for real. This was <laughs> like people,
1: not to say people weren't using eBay before this, but they weren't mm. using it to this scale. No. I mean, it, this was really like promoted this kind of e-commerce thing mm-hmm. that we had that's so common and prevalent oh, today
2: yeah. i always check ebay for everything that i need yeah <laughs> it's like yeah insane. and
1: some of these orders they were netting people between three and five thousand dollars for one beanie
2: we really messed up
1: yeah. <laughs> i literally i cannot understand how insane, like, this period of time was. It was unmatched by anything that I can remember as far as, like... A- the
2: time period was such, like, a collector culture time period for yeah. everything. Yeah.
1: It was funny. I was thinking about, like, going to... I can remember going to, like, a trade show with my aunt and my mom that was just Beanie Babies oh and people had them out on tables and stuff. And, like, I can't remember anything happening like this until... Furbies came out. Because Mm -hmm. Furbies became the thing to get. This was like the very, very tail end. Pokemon cards went through that whole
2: weird phase. Yeah,
1: And even, honestly, when Furbies came out and people were like rushing to get them, it wasn't a collector's thing. It was just because Mm -hmm. that was like the toy of the season Mm -hmm. to have. Beanie Babies was like it was a whole different monster.
2: Yeah, it kind of, because doll collecting culture is very similar to that. Like, you know, Pre 60s dolls, Victorian dolls in particular, when they had the real hair and all that shit. Unfortunately, I know more than I care to about that. (laughs) Having to deal with uh, Mm. toys and clothing and things in the museum world. (laughs) No, thank you. Wealth of useless knowledge. (laughs)
1: Um, Now, obviously, something had to be done with all of this money that Ty Warner was making, right? (laughs) Right. So. He did what every rich guy does in the early 90s and hopped on a plane to Zurich, Switzerland. I
2: was going to say, invest it in a shitty restaurant chain. Oh,
1: <laughs> also that. Yeah. No, he uh, he got on a plane to Zurich where he opened a, a bank account at UBS, mm-hmm. one which at the time was one of Switzerland's largest banks. I think it still is. I don't know if it's defunct now or not. I don't think so. But because of what we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, I don't think any of those banks No, I defunct. don't think so. <laughs> um, the initial deposit is unknown, but by 2002, it had ballooned into $93 million. I will also say that at this point, um, Ty Warner had to have known that keeping all of his money in an offshore account was no good because he took active steps to keep it hidden, like <laughs> using a hold mail agreement to stop the bank from sending anything to the United
2: States okay,
1: and instructing UBS to destroy records and documents relating to his account after five years.
2: That's not at all suspicious. Right?
1: Yeah. Um, and this remained the same for literally dozens of years, um, never once being reported to the IRS, which is illegal. Mm-hmm. Pro tip, report your income to the IRS for this tax season. And every tax season going forward. Right. Yeah. You um, can only run
2: and hide so just much. Just don't try
1: it. Yeah. Obviously, the success of Ty Inc. continued throughout the 90s, and Ty Warner's net worth continued to grow due to his 100% ownership of the company. Ty Inc. was a private company, meaning he didn't have to require, or he wasn't required to release revenue figures. And according to an article by Brian Smith for Chicago Magazine, which a lot of my research is based on, this article we'll definitely put a link to it on the website. Quote: In 1998, experts questioned his claim to be the world's top toy seller. Uh, Warner took out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal stating that his company had $700 million in profits in 1997. If true, that would have made it more profitable than his two top competitors at the time, Hasbro and Mattel, which reported $560 million in combined profits. Hmm. Like, that's a lot of money. And people are like, yeah, but is that actually true? Oh God. Are you making more than Hasbro and Mattel combined? Oh. I would like to assume that everybody out there knows who Hasbro and Mattel are and what they have made.
2: Barbie? All the toys ever. All the <laughs> board games. I mean, All the, like, may- maybe at this time. <laughs> I don't know, man. Beanie Babies were pretty fucking out of control. It's true. It's true.
1: <laughs> Time Warner turned himself into a very elusive figure by refusing interviews, making it really difficult to even reach the company itself by phone, and avoiding putting the name of its company on its headquarters.
2: Not suspicious at all, Again. It's like, oh, just go into that brown building with a door in
1: the yeah. middle. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, right. I could see that being the building that has a secret button to open the wall. Like, mm. there's no doors on the outside. Mm. You have to find the button. <laughs> uh, the Beanie Baby craze lasted through a huge chunk of the 90s until later in the decade. Now, seeing an obvious downward slope in the purchasing of his product, Time Warner announced that all Beanie Babies would be retired in 1999. Of course, people went nuts, but were relieved after Ty Inc. held a public vote on Christmas Eve, asking the public if they wished to continue seeing the Beanie Babies. Um, The public overwhelmingly said yes, and voted to keep them out of retirement. We
2: want more Beanie Babies!
1: (laughs) Give me the Beanie's! Give me
2: Beanie's or give me (laughs) (laughs)
1: death! At this point, he brought Beanie Baby's back and began to invest in other ventures. Again, from Brian Smith's article, for his first big splurge in 1999, he plunked down a cool $275 million for the six-year-old Four Seasons Hotel in New York. The crown jewel and his personal pet project was a lavish $41,000 a night penthouse with a 360-degree views of Manhattan that he outfitted with fabrics woven with platinum and gold and oh, equipped geez. with the services of a personal butler, personal traver- trainer, and private chauffeur.
2: <sighs>
1: Unnecessary. $41,000 a night. I'm you like, know. man, that can pay for one year of college. Which also is a whole other issue. Right. But <laughs> Yeah. I mean, not to get started on that issue. But anytime I hear that it's amount of money, I ridiculous. always think of it in context of, like, what would this be affecting in my life? Like, that could buy a
2: house.
0: Yeah.
1: Literally yeah. could buy a house. You
0: could <laughs> like, buy it's
2: crazy. a good chunk of New Mexico for that price. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: So he bought up a few more properties later, including Montecito. Uh, a place in Montecito, Montecito Country Club, the San Isidro Ranch, and the Four Seasons in Santa Barbara. By 2002, Forbes gave Ty Warner an estimated net worth of six billion dollars, yes. following the launch of teeny beanie boppers at McDonald's.
2: I didn't have any of those.
1: I had all of them, and that was the greatest because my mom would get happy meals and then bring them for me at lunch in like elementary the, school.
2: I and could had happy McDonald's. Meal at lunch, so. It made me throw up. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, but I was fast food makes me sick.
1: We had all of them in a like a basket, like a you know, uh-huh. basket. I mean, my brother should there. get
2: toys and stuff from McDonald's, mm-hmm. but I never mm, No. <laughs> now, this net worth
1: would start to drop by the late 2000s um, when it dropped to $3.2 billion mm-hmm. after sales plummet. All this time, Warner continued to maintain. Um, the he so he had this bank account in Switzerland, and then he decided to open a second secret account in Switzerland. And in two thousand and two, he got a different Swiss bank account listed under the shell company, the Milani Foundation, which he transferred more than ninety three million dollars into. At the same time, the IRS was attempting to get the original Swiss bank, UBS, to disclose some of the suspect clients' information. This all kind of came to a head in 2008 under the George W. Bush administration. Um, The DOJ and the SEC launched an investigation into the overseas bank accounts of wealthy Americans, and UBS was like at the center of this thing. One year later, after the Obama administration came in, UBS provided the United States with a list of 285 U.S. clients with undeclared accounts, including Ty Warner. Now, just a note here, there's a whole lot more to what is called the Birkenfield disclosure in 2007 and subsequent investigations into UBS afterward, including another investigation by the U.S. in 2015, along with additional whistleblower disclosures and investigations by Israel, Germany, France and Belgium. But honestly, that is an entirely different episode. There is like (laughs) so much to unpack there because UBS was like... Hiding a lot of wealthy people's money. Yeah. And they weren't reporting it for taxes. Good job, guys.
2: So to take down the rich man. Eat the rich. Take down the bourgeoisie. So in the midst of
1: all of these investigations, there was this amnesty program that the U.S. government was allowing people to apply for to avoid prosecution by coming forward, disclosing all of their offshore bank accounts, and instead paying back taxes, interest, and penalties, including 20% of the account's peak value. So not knowing that the government already had his name on a list ty warner applied but was denied because he was considered tax scofflaw which is a term that i just really really Bless enjoy you. <laughs> yeah
2: <Tax scofflaw. laughs>
1: it was great tax scofflaw so scofflaw is this idea that you're like flouting so the law band no <laughs> it's exactly what it's well yeah, and that would be a good be like ska a band good name. Ska band. <laughs> scofflaw. scofflaw
0: um
1: but it is this idea that you're just kind of flouting the law like you're just like whatever like i know what it is uh you're considered scoff law, which Laws I'm just like, I love are that.
2: for the working class.
1: <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like, yeah. huh? <laughs> uh, so in 2014, Ty Warner pled guilty to one, tax account, uh, one count of tax evasion, evading a total of $5.6 million in U.S. taxes. The recommended sentence was 46 to 57 months in prison. But instead, Warner was sentenced to two years probation plus community service and a fine of A fine of $100,000 plus costs. Now, that sentence is all thanks to Ty Warner's extensive philanthropy and extensive character references. As a part of his sentencing, Warner was offered, he offered to mentor students in business and product development in schools on Chicago's South Side. And around 70 people submitted character references for him. Mm Mm-hmm over the years he had donated more than 6 million dollars to the Andre Agassi Foundation in Las Vegas 3 million dollars to create the Ty Warner Park in Westmont, Illinois 1.5 million for the creation of Ty Warner Sea Center in Santa Barbara California donating 1 million Beanie Babies to children in Iraq 300 million dollars worth Not food
2: or fucking water but Beanie Babies you know you know, the uh, essentials
1: 300 million dollars worth, worth of soft toys for a Red Cloth Cross blood drive and designed multiple beanie babies specifically for donating the proceeds to charity, including the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation, the American Red Cross, and the Princess Diana Memorial Fund, which is, of course, the which one that I remember. Did
2: absolutely nothing. Also, the Red Cross is a sham. Anyway. Yeah, also, that.
1: Also that. Another episode.
2: Charities are a sham. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> the other big donation story that seemed like to be the most reported on is when Warner stopped for directions in Santa Barbara, California, and the woman who gave him directions was raising money for a life-saving stem cell procedure, for which he just decided to give her $20,000 to get this stem cell oh, procedure, which is like... Yeah. This is why I'm kind of like, yes, he's sleazy for hiding all these taxes, but he did do a lot of legitimate philanthrop- like philanthropic work, mm-hmm. but also at the same time, that all counts as tax write-offs. Exactly. Which is why a lot of people do that work. I mean, I'm not saying that yeah. everybody who who donates to some cause is a sham, but like <laughs> rich people who do a lot of philanthropy tend to want to get tax right.
2: <laughs> yes, or their name on a door somewhere. Right, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Or their kid in college.
2: Mm, they don't say. <laughs>
1: The district court found that, quote, Mr. Warner's private acts of kindness, generosity, and benevolence are overwhelming, end quote, and that they had all taken place before he knew he was under investigation. Ultimately, the dude was 69 with no prior criminal record, and getting a sentence other than community service would have been difficult in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they went for it anyway, and following the guilty plea, the prosecuting attorneys appealed the sentencing decision, saying that the sentencing was unreasonable because it didn't include a prison term, along with other various like procedural errors. The appeals court denied this, saying that there wasn't a statute expressly requiring Warner to serve any time in jail. And most of the other arguments were made um, without merit. Ultimately, Warner's original sentence was affirmed and Warner managed to escape without any prison time. According to Forbes, as of 2018, Ty Warner is worth $2.4 billion.
2: Of bullshit.
1: Yeah. But I just, I mean, I like white collar crime, as you know. But this yes. one spoke to me because of the like the nostalgia, nostalgia of the yes. Beanie Babies.
2: Nostalgic white collar crime. hmm
0: The Chumba Life is for everybody, so go to chumpacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumpaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, boywear prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Well, I'm going to provide you with a different kind of nostalgia. <laughs> is going to be the good kind is a I
1: good
2: mean, nostalgia maybe <laughs> fingers crossed you know i mean a lot of times i read cases that are white collar crime and it's like a guy who's been backed into a corner and had to make a decision like i need to steal money for my family or something right. but most of the time it starts off with a real fucking slime ball and and this story <sighs> I think this guy is the biggest slime ball there ever was. I'm so ready. So, if you were alive in the late 90s, early 2000s, you probably remember those uh, censored infomercials for DVDs and tapes of college co-eds in a bus getting naked and doing weird shit. Oh, yes. Yeah, girls I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm so excited for this story. Well, the owner and operator and General Dick in charge was Joe fucking Francis.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh. This
2: L.A. looks hair gel motherfucker lived and breathed bullshit. And he lived a life of the shittiest crimes. Everything you've said so far is true. (laughs) I feel like to... Really get a picture of him and his, like, fraud, to put it into full context.
1: Are you about to play a Girls Gone Wild video now?
2: Yes. No. (laughs) You really need to hear a bunch of the other things that he's done to fully understand why the tax is, like, the tax runs the cherry on top of this shit cake. (laughs) Mm, Yes. So I'm going to walk you through a fun timeline of bullshit. Are you ready? Yes. We're going to go a little bit in order and then we're going to go back because the tax fraud took place in between all of this but okay. i just want to, you to hear all of the shit he was juggling at the time
1: okay
0: all right so
2: francis finished college in 1995 and started working at real tv he went to school for tv production so this was you know something you wanted to do with his career for life yeah yeah He starts selling questionable videotapes called Banned from TV, which is like the Faces of Death videos, but on a VHS tape. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Do you remember those? Yes. Do you remember E-Bombs World?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. Do you remember? I'm pretty sure that still exists.
2: Do you remember going online and watching Salad Fingers and getting in trouble?
1: Yes. Of course. This is the stuff. Of course. (laughs) Salad Fingers. (laughs)
2: Oh, my fingers on a rusty rusty spoon. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, Yeah. Any, anyway, what a weird
1: time period
2: that God, was. Our whole life was a weird time
1: period.
2: <laughs> um, oh, the internet. Yeah. So on these questionable tapes called Banned From TV, there was included some Mardi Gras footage where girls would flash the camera. This is where Girls Gone Wild was born. Of course. Yeah. So in 2008, he's he's got Girls Gone Wild going. He's going around in his Girls Gone Wild bus trying to catch girls going wild <laughs> i'm just gonna throw this out
1: there if you do not know what girls gone wild is it is essentially is this too young for you <laughs> yeah it's essentially videos where they get girls to flash the
2: camera but they do et it cetera, in the way so there's some yeah. like footage where it's pandering in like mardi gras and spring break yeah but the rest of the of footage is a fucking bus where they coerce young girls yep which Spoiler alert, some of them were underage. Yep. <laughs> Onto a bus, they talked to them about how, oh girl, you so sexy. Let me see it. It's Nipples. really
1: gross. <laughs> it's so gross. And is. Yeah. But just in case you guys are like, I don't know, maybe that was an American thing. Maybe people just I don't know. Maybe people don't know about or maybe it. Maybe
2: your only reference is that episode of The Office where he's in yeah. he's in a hotel room um during a uh what's it called? like a casting couch no oh it's when he's in the, the hotel room for a conference oh and he has the party and oh. it's just him and jim and he plays this horrible song called girls gone wild and Yikes. it's just like techno music going girls gone wild 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 and oh that's my it God. that's the whole song okay <laughs> so maybe that's your only frame of reference <laughs> for girls gone wild i don't know but you're probably too young if you don't know what that is. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to add that in there for some context. Yeah. So he's going around in his shitty bus, spring break, Mardi Gras, getting all of these, you know, girls on videotape. They do sign releases, but that does not mean that there is not some shady shit going on. Right. So in 2008, four women sued Girls Gone Wild for filming them when they were underage. This case went to trial and Francis tried to present represent himself but got straight up yelled at by the judge because he called one of the accusers a prostitute as he was cross-examining her. I was just thinking, it always goes 100% fine when you represent yourself in court. Right? You probably shouldn't call out your accuser as a prostitute oh in God. front of a court. That's bad ethics, <laughs> yo. Oh. So, ultimately, he pled no contest to child abuse and prostitution charges, which if you're not familiar with no contest, you're neither admitting or disputing a charge against a person.
1: Yeah. It basically so, is admitting that they have enough evidence to prosecute you if mm-hmm. they want
2: to, but... It's basically you're guilty. Yeah. You're just <laughs> not admitting It's guilty without saying guilty. Guilt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, in two thousand eleven, Francis was arrested for holding <laughs> this is the this is great three women against their will in his home. He was charged with three misdemeanor counts of false imprisonment, one of assault causing great bodily injury, and one of dissuading a witness. Uh, Francis did an interview with the Hollywood reporter, and this is where it gets really fucked up. These are not my words, okay? This is, quote, heavy fucking quote. Ready? Okay. He calls the jurors mentally retarded. Oh, God. And suggests they should be euthanized. Wow. End quote. Good job, dude. So, he was drug through the fucking dirt for saying that good he deserved it he got <laughs> in so much trouble for calling these j- jurors names and suggesting that they should be fucking killed so yeah. well, he like I mean, on top of being terrible, it's also jury intimidation.
1: Oh, yeah. So. He has
2: absolutely no filter Just in no fucking yeah. idea what he's doing. Jesus. So he was convicted and served 270 <sighs> days in a county jail and 36 months of probation and was ordered to complete a level three anger management course and a year of psychological counseling. Wow. So they threw Damn. a book at him. Yeah. Kind of. Kind of. Because <laughs> he still held three women against their will. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> In 2012, a defamation suit was brought against him from Steve Wynn of Wynn Hotel Fame. Uh, it stemmed out of an unpaid gambling debt of two million dollars by Francis. He made allegations that Wynn threatened him, which was not the case at all. Um, basically, he was saying that Wynn was intimidating him for this gambling debt and like making all of these, uh, you know, accusations and saying that he was going to like kill him and hurt him and shit. And the hotel heir was not. So, Steve Wynn won the suit, and um, Francis, I forget how much he had to pay him, but had to pay him a shit ton of money for this defamation lawsuit. So, these are just some of the things that this fucking dirtbag has done in his lifetime. Oh, my God. And I feel like it's a really good framework to understand why the taxes are just... The cherry on top. It's like you're already fucking doing all these it horrible has, it things, It honestly dude. sounds
1: like the tax stuff is probably the, the least, least of his shitty words. things <laughs> done. Yeah. But Which it's is like, sad when that's the you case. You have all
2: of this trouble. Maybe also not add tax fraud on top of right, that.
1: Right. Right. It's like don't do crimes while you're doing other crimes. Right?
2: You're going to get all crimed out. Yeah. All <laughs> crimed out. Yeah. So... The tax trouble actually took place in 2007, so it was in the middle of all of these things happening, okay? Francis's company was about $29 million at the time. That's how much it was worth. And on his tax returns, he filed a great deal of business expenses. I was able to obtain the original court filing, so I was going to read some of the silly bullshit that they put on there that he was doing, because it's just absolutely fucking ridiculous. Okay. So, this is the case of the United States of America versus Joe Francis out of the District Court of Nevada, because, of course, he lives in Nevada. He's a (laughs) dirtbag. So, it kind of goes on and explains what his company is, which is pretty hilarious. It just, like, says, oh, it produced, marketed, sold, and distributed videotapes under the Girls Gone Wild brand name. (laughs) So I'm going to kind of hop down here to where it starts talking about the counts. It's a pretty short document. It's, I think, like four or five pages. Yeah. Um, So you can read it in length for yourself, but I just kind of wanted to highlight some of the interesting information on it. So it's two counts of tax evasion, um, and it states the grand jury... and incorporates the factual allegations contained in paragraphs one of six above beginning in or around January 2001 and continuing through at least September 8th of 2005. He was a legal resident and was actively um, evading portions of his income tax for the, it says for calendar year 2002 is when it was actually like what they were actually convicting him for um but he basically put it in, in Nevada because of the loose tax regulations yeah and so he then opened a bunch of these bank accounts and then went offshore as you do yeah as all the, I'm <laughs> telling you it's a rich person thing they're like offshore but you say he went to Bermuda and I okay. don't know how lax the Bermuda laws are in in that but he went to the Bermuda Commercial Bank Limited um and made a bank account there. I feel and- like in Bermuda
1: <laughs> it's probably similar to how it is in Jersey where mm-hmm. they had all the um the what was the big Panama Papers was the yeah, big Panama release. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of that had to do with accounts in Jersey over in the mm-hmm. UK. I think it's similar to there.
2: Yeah. So it states to honor about April 11, thousand three, the taxes that were prepared, signed, filed were uh, a false and fraudulent 2002 tax income income tax returns for the S corporation of Mantra Films, which is like this whole shell of a shell of a shell of a shell of his media production company, um, which included and not limited to a total of one million and some change for the construction of a residency in Punta Mita, Mexico. Okay. Uh, about three hundred and thirty-three thousand dollars for false insurance expenses. Okay. Then an additional five hundred thousand dollars for false insurance expenses, and approximately ten million dollars for false consulting service expenses. Weird. Very weird. I what would he be consulting on? Yeah, I don't know how, how that shakes out. <laughs> right. Yeah. So his taxable income was reported as thirteen, so about fourteen million dollars. Yeah. And his tax due and owed at the time was about $3 million. Jeez. He actually had additional income, which was the issue. So he also had about $2.5 in a Rothwell Limited bank account in Bermuda. And then about a million in another bank account in Casablanca de Punta Mita in Mexico. So... The second count goes into greater detail of all of the shit that he was hiding. And so it explains about how Mantra Films was kind of purchasing these quote unquote insurance policies. And it was Asia Pacific, Sans Media, and Mantra Films all purchasing insurance policies. Okay. For their companies. Were they real insurance policies or they were they They were just fake expenses? They were fake expenses. And so that was the biggest issue was the fake insurance policies on top of this house that he constructed for his own personal use, but was put under the mantra films as a business expense.
0: Okay. Yeah. This is very like
2: construct a home in Mexico as a business expense, I'm sorry. This is very
1: convoluted too as a lot of these Mm. things often are where it's like a shell and a shell and a shell with hiding some it's yeah it becomes really convoluted really quickly
2: it's super duper convoluted but um, it also states in the second count that he had an additional uh, about two million dollars in false insurance expenses so
1: damn
2: just out of fucking control Um, so what wound up happening Um, he obviously was convicted for these crimes Um, at a hearing Francis pled not guilty to the tax evasion and his attorney stated that the tax returns for the businesses were prepared and filed by a former accountant and not shown to Francis at all Uh, he also went on to say that the accountant left the company and then reported the returns to the IRS to collect a bonus from the tax whistleblower program
1: yeah yeah so that sounds bad. Which the tax whistleblower <laughs> program also played a role in this kind of UBS investigation that they were exactly. doing at the same time.
2: It's hard to say exactly who was in the the wrong for that because it was prepared by somebody else. But he also knew like what he was doing. He knew yeah. that he was hiding money, and he knew that he claiming yeah. the house that he built in fucking Mexico as a business expense was wrong. Like he right. knew that, right? So. In September of 2009, Francis uh, pled guilty to misdemeanor counts of filing a false return and bribery. He received credit for time served and paid a 250000 restitution. Which is, like, beans. Which is absolutely nothing. Yeah. He continued to go on to be a fucking criminal, as I described the various other things above that he did yep. wrong. Um, but in 2013... Cue the sad violin music. Girls Gone Wild went fucking bankrupt, you guys. Aww. Oh. You can get internet titties for free. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So they went bankrupt. But here's the shitty part. In 2015, the U.S. District Court filed a warrant for Francis' arrest to failure to comply with the bankruptcy proceedings. Of course. So the thing about bankruptcy is you have to tell them everything that you have, and you have to give up all your fucking assets. Right. That includes every home you own and all the cars you own and everything. Yes. Well, he kept a car. Okay. He also fled to fucking Mexico and started to live there in a house that he built with money that he was supposed to give up for his fucking bankruptcy. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) So, along with taxes, anytime you file for bankruptcy, you also have to prove and show all of the money and everything that you own because that goes towards your bankruptcy. And again, he evaded and tried to shice to the, you know, fucking bankruptcy court, and he did not win. Now, he still is in Mexico.
1: Oh, uh, Of course he is. And I
2: was not able to find any information after this uh, if anything happened to him being arrested. Yeah. Or if his warrant was ever filed, or if he ever tried to do anything about it. Oh my It's gosh. like he just dropped off the face of a fucking planet. It kind planet.
1: of makes me wonder if he would if he's friends with um John McAfee.
2: Yeah, right? Like I could totally <laughs> see
1: the two of them being like buddy buddy. Exactly. In their, you know, dual fleeing the United States status. Exactly. Oh my gosh.
2: So, supposedly reportedly he's still in Mexico living it up with his girlfriend and his child. Maybe they're married now. I'm not really sure. But he had a girlfriend and she had a child. Okay. And they all live in Mexico in a house. And I think there's still a warrant out for arrest. But at least there's not girls gone wild anymore. (laughs) At least they're not taking advantage of drunk college girls.
1: I wanted to look. um, Let's see if I can get my computer to cooperate with me. I just Googled Joe Francis. Joe Francis 2019. Joe Mama. (laughs) Joe Francis Dirt. That's what it says. What? Steve, <laughs> a- Steve Wynn acquires the Bel Air home of Joe Francis.
2: Yeah. There's like a... Is Girls Con Wild founder Joe Francis still in jail?
1: Yeah, no. no. He's not.
2: Yeah, so Steve Wynn, the one who... is the one who sued him for defamation, so that yeah. was probably part of the defamation lawsuit as um you know, his Ooh. his assets.
1: I just clicked <clears throat> on his Instagram. He's holding oh. a sea turtle.
2: Still in Mexico? Yeah. <laughs> See? I Also, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. There was also... I, I didn't put everything that ever happened to him in here, but he was also, like, um, held hostage in Mexico in his home, and they, like, robbed him. Like, they tied him up and robbed him. Oh, my gosh. So that's also an interesting story that happened to him. Um, but, yeah. He's, he's, I, he's still in Mexico. I don't understand how such a fucking dirtbag can get away with so many crimes and not have to do anything about it. But, I don't you know. know.
1: But how about instead of looking up old videos of Girls Gone Wild, you guys uh, <laughs> listen to this podcast instead. Welcome to the promo for the Marble Orchard Podcast, the weekly
2: podcast that explores emerging mysteries of the American Southwest, hosted by me, Prickly Pete, and my co-host, Faye Daniel. And we're not just another true crime podcast. We also discuss history, unexplained events, and local monsters. You can find the podcast on
1: iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app. All right, guys, that has been our show for this week. Happy anniversary, Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary!
2: Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary!
1: Happy anniversary. <laughs> yes. Enjoy your hard shard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we do actually have a couple events coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, Needie do we do? Yeah, this is going to come out before April, right? Yep. It's going to come out
2: in March. Okay. our anniversary. <laughs> Good point. Do you want to yes. tell us about our, our yes. first so one? Yes. Let me put down my glass of mine. Um, so April 4th, there's this little shindig happening in Rockford at Veterans Memorial Hall mm. from noon to five with a screening of a movie afterwards. Yes. <laughs> and it is the True Crime Expo with Haunted Rockford. We'll be there. We will be there. We will be telling you stories. A really good one. It's going to be fun. It'll be just like this? Hold on, let me do it like Girls Gone Wild. Live and in person on stage with a bad taste crime cast. That's going to be us. Oh, man. And we go on. Except we're not getting our tits out. No. We're going to get our true crime tits out? (laughs) Sure. Sure. I regret that statement. We're going (laughs) to flaunt our true crime. (laughs) We're going to jiggle our true crime in front of you so hard. Oh god. <laughs> um <laughs> I regret everything I've ever mm. said. Uh so we'll be there yes. with a couple of other authors and filmmakers yeah. in the true crime genre. Yes. I think we're going at 2 3:30. It's earlier than that, I think. Is it? Yeah. Yeah,
1: we'll find out. I'll yeah. we'll tell you. Um, but if you point. go on
2: hauntedrocker.com, the lineup's there, tickets are for sale. If you buy them in advance, it's $5 cheaper. You can buy them at the door, but yeah. You always want to save that five bucks. Yeah, Super make, you know, fun. Come over and buy merch instead with that five dollars. Yeah, right? <laughs> um,
1: it's super fun. We've worked with them before. Uh, it's great. It's
2: one of my favorite people to work yeah. with. So yeah,
1: it's a really good time. It's
2: going to be fun as hell.
1: So after that.
2: We're going to be in Kansas City. We're going to take a true crime road trip together. Yeah.
1: I'm so excited. <laughs> Janelle just just notified me that she's going to be riding with us to Kansas City. I was
2: going to f- fly in a plane and then I was like, oh, you know, international Carod- pandemic, what have you. Maybe not a good idea.
1: Yeah. Um, so so yeah. we will be in Kansas City, Missouri on July 11th and 12th for the true crime podcast festival. Yeah. We aren't doing a live show, but we are going to have a table there. We'll be there mm-hmm. like meeting and greeting and saying hello. Hello, and Jan- saying
2: s- special hellos to you. And yes, eating barbecue yeah. and celebrating. The win of the Super Bowl. I don't know. Is that still going to be a thing in July? Probably. I, I have no idea. Oh gonna, yeah, the,
1: they won the Super Bowl. I'm probably going to
2: go visit the art museum. You know, yeah. Like so there's going to be. We will
1: be there. There's going to be a ton of other podcasts there. Mm. They do panel discussions. They have some people recording some live shows. Yes. I mean, there's tons of stuff to do. I know they have some after party events too and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we'll like,
2: actually get to hang out with people for more than yes. five seconds this time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be really fun. I'm very much looking forward to it. For Mm -hmm. more information and to purchase tickets you can go to tcpf2020.com yes and we will see you there yeah
2: and if you like coming to see us in live shows keep an eye out on our social media and our website we always post up the information if you ever forget or you know want a link to buy tickets yes so check it out yeah Um, So with that being said, do we have anything else? Um, Check out Patreon. Patreon. If you love us so much, you can become a Patreon supporter for just a couple dollars um, a month. Yep. You can get extra content. We have Cocktails and Conspiracies. We have a whole backlog of amazing episodes that we did people who are Patreon subscribers get first dibs on all the information of our upcoming events and ticket prices and sales that we have on merch. It's just, it's a good deal all around if you love us so much. So you can search
1: that on (laughs) Patreon.com or you can go to badtastecrimecast.com slash donate and it'll take you to the same place. In the meantime, while you're there, you can check out some merch too. Badtastecrimecast.com slash
2: merch. Maybe you need a new tank top for that jogging that you just picked up yeah I in, okay it's not joking. are you projecting i'm, I'm running <laughs> I'm running from all of my feelings and thoughts running from my physically. feelings <laughs> yes uh so you can check that out
1: too but i
2: think that's about it that's it all right uh well four on that more note, years four <laughs> <no>. <laughs> of bad taste crabcast oh like, let me clarify oh okay because <laughs> it's their anniversary yes Probably. I four want to make it years.
1: to our 50 year. No, I'm just kidding. Let's <laughs> not. It's going to be a long our <laughs> Are even going to be a thing in 50 years? I will just be like. I'll
2: wheel my ass up here in a fucking wheelchair <laughs> if I have to. Um, our sound
1: and <laughs> editing is by Tiff Fulman. Our music is by Jason Zakshatsky. The Enigma. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye.
2: Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary! anniversary. anniversary.
0: It was as if a wave of evil washed over this (laughs) town. We are all evil, (laughs) in some form or another.